0: Well, good morning. Let me say that this is not the way that I envisioned returning to the pulpit here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. I truly regret not being able to be there with you in person this morning. However, late Friday evening, um, Charlie, my son, suddenly spiked a fever and began showing a number of signs that uh, are consistent with The coronavirus, and so uh, as you can imagine, my entire family was thrown into a little bit of a a state of uh, bewilderment at that moment, and so uh, none of the rest of the family has any symptoms whatsoever, but as you might imagine, uh, we were put on high alert, so not knowing whether he had this virus or not or whether the rest of us had been exposed to it. Uh, I consulted with the staff and we made the decision that it would be best for me to come and to record uh, the sermon for today um, and that way I could eliminate any opportunity or possibility of potentially exposing others to it if that were the case. Um, On Saturday, we were able to get Charlie into uh, uh, a doctor's office and to get him a rapid uh, coronavirus test, and thankfully that test came back negative. And so, as you can imagine, we were all very uh, thrilled for that. Um, the thought is just simply he has some sort of a bug that is uh, is there. Uh, but his test did show negative for the coronavirus, so we are grateful. But we, uh, we were advised to watch him and to, to just continue to monitor him and to take continued precautions ourselves. And so for those reasons, uh, I decided to continue with the plan that we had put in place to go ahead and record today's sermon and uh, and I hope that uh, you will understand uh, our reasoning for that. I would just simply ask that you continue to pray that Charlie would, com- would completely recover and that the rest of our family would continue to be protected. And I know that you will. Certainly, it is my hope to be back in the pulpit with you in person uh, next Sunday morning. Let me just say that I have truly missed you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time away on sabbatical and uh, with some vacation time as well to to simply take some time with my family to to relax and to rest uh, and to recharge our batteries, uh, really. And I simply just want to say thank you from the very bottom of my heart for uh, the blessing that that was for me and for my family. You guys at this church love us so, so well, and I am so very appreciative of that love. I also want to say a very special thank you to... Uh, to two of my friends, Larry Wynn, and and to Scott Sullivan, who along with Pastors Ted and Dave uh, filled in for me during my absence. Uh, I'm so grateful for each of them. I'm grateful for those men and their ministries uh, that God has given to them. Uh, I am very blessed to have friends like them in my lives friends who will encourage me and pray for me, Uh, men who in times like these can pinch hit for me, Uh, when I am away I mentioned also uh, Ted and Dave and but let me also take the opportunity to thank the rest of the staff at Ivy Creek as well as the the lay leadership and all the volunteers uh, who do so much in service uh, for our Lord and for this church and it is truly a blessing to know that the ministries of this church continue uh, and, and are in such wonderful and capable hands as we have here you know, I've been asked a few times since coming back if, uh, if I had any type of, of mountaintop experience while I was away, if there was some sort of an epiphany that God showed me something and radically changed um, my life. And the truth of the matter is no, um, nothing like that happened. God did not open the heavens and, and reveal with shafts of light some new and, and unknown thing to me that I had not Known or or listened or heard before. Rather, during this time of of rest and and reflection, God simply reaffirmed for me what His calling on my life has been and continues to be. What, What the Lord impressed upon me over the past few weeks is that our present culture and time. During this, this moment in which we find ourselves as the, the people of God, we find ourselves bombarded with, with voices and messages from every side. And this cacophony of voices seems to constantly be telling us that we are to be for this and against that or we are to be against this and, and for that. And the result of that seems to be inevitably pushing all of us to the periphery and, and even dividing us from one another. During my time away, even as I tried to really to shut out uh, as much of that noise as I could so that I could hear the voice of God speaking clearly to me, it was difficult, if not impossible, to do. In 2020, we've encountered a global pandemic, societal unrest. We're in the midst of an election year. And furthermore, nearly everything that was normal in our lives just a few months ago had been turned upside down so that nothing really feels normal anymore. And the fact is, there are so many different opinions and theories and ideas and, and alternate viewpoints being voiced, while at the same time there's so many fears and worries and anxieties being fomented that I wondered... More than once over this past month, God, what in the world is your church supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? As someone that that you have called to be a preacher, someone who has been called to lift his voice and add it to the growing swell of all the others that constantly bombard your people, what is it that I'm supposed to say? What am I to preach? I certainly don't have all the answers to the questions that are out there. I don't have a solution to all of the problems that exist. In many ways, I am just as bewildered and I am just as confused by much of what I see and what I hear as everyone else. So, what is it that I am supposed to say? What am I to preach? It was really at that point, in the midst of of all of the, the noise. And the confusion of so many screaming voices emanating from so many different places that God reminded me of the only reason he ever called me to preach to begin with. He called me to take his book, his holy, inspired, inerrant word that he has given to us and to point everyone who will listen to Jesus Christ to point them to the Holy Son of God who came and lived a perfect, sinless, holy life, suffered and died a vicarious death so that sinners like you and I might be set free from the penalty of our sin and be made righteous and fitted for heaven because of his perfect sacrifice. It is my conviction that in the midst of a world that is filled with an innumerable amount of voices that are all fighting for our attention, that what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs more than anything else right now is to hear the voice of God speaking to us through his divine word, pointing us to the only way, the only truth, and the only life. As one preacher, preacher that I, uh, I heard recently say, he said, we need more of this book right now than we have ever needed it before because there are more voices trying to, to drown it out now than have ever existed before. And I really couldn't agree with him any more than I do. So all of that to say, I I don't propose to reintroduce you to myself in in a new way. I don't introduce a a new me to you today. I simply reaffirm to you my commitment to the exposition of Scripture, which reveals the Lord Jesus Christ and calls all men, women, boys, and girls everywhere to faith in and obedience to him. So with that, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 1. I understand that both of the past two weeks, both Scott and Dave, have preached from the book of Psalms, and I want you to know that's wonderful because all of you should be already attuned to turning there. And uh, we're going to continue to turn there, uh, the Lord willing, over the the next number of weeks. Um, The Lord has impressed upon me to spend... Uh, some time working through this book. I do not propose that we are going to spend 150 weeks there, since that's how many psalms that there are. Uh, But I do want to engage with this book for for a while. And I've entitled this series uh, in Psalms, Songs from the Heart. And the reason that I chose that title is because the book of Psalms, or the Psalter, as many will refer to it, is comprised of 150 poetic compositions Uh, that were sung as songs by those early believers, songs that were were sung from the hearts of people who were joyful because of the blessings and the deliverance that they had experienced at the hands of God. But there's also songs that are sung there by the brokenhearted and by the grief-stricken because of the loss that they had encountered. There are songs in this, this psalter that are sung by anxious people, by those who are confused because God's purposes don't seem to make sense to them and how they are being carried out in life around them. And then there are songs that are sung by those who cry out to God to make right all of the wrongs that they see occurring in the world. In other words, the, the Psalter really is filled with, with songs sung by people who are going through very familiar things circumstances and situations to all of us. And I believe that these are songs that you and I could be, and in fact, I believe we should be, singing ourselves. And what better place to begin than to look at the book of Psalms begin beginning with the first one. In fact, Psalm 1 is, is considered to be the gateway or the introduction to the whole Psalter in that it actually sets the tone for all of the rest of the Psalms that will follow. In fact, many believe that Psalm 1 is the text from which all of the others in the Psalter give their commentary. As I read it for you this morning, I want you to listen for the contrasts that the psalmist presents in these verses. He he contrasts two different individuals and, and two different ways of living and, and two different fates that result. So with that as, a, as an introduction, read with me Psalm 1, which begins this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come to you today and we are grateful and thankful for your love and your mercy that you've extended to us. I'm grateful personally in my own life and family for your protection over us, particularly over the last five, six weeks, but even more specifically in the last couple of days. And I thank you for for keeping your hand of protection and healing upon Charlie's life. I pray that you would continue to protect uh, us, his family, and uh, just watch over us. We know, though, that there are many who are sick. There are many who have experienced and gone through and they had contracted this coronavirus. Those in our own church family who have gone through it and are suffering from it right now. We know there are others that are suffering from all other kinds of, of diseases and sicknesses. And Father, I, just, I pray for your hand of healing to be upon us. Lord, I, I ask that... You might touch and bring healing where there is sickness and hurt. But I also pray that you would bring spiritual healing and and health to the lives of those many who are hurting spiritually. and are struggling, particularly as a result of all of the things that we're going through and and, and the the things that we're experiencing in the lives of our our family and, 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 and just what all is going on in our world. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, will speak to us. Use your... Your Word, Your Scriptures, may we, may we chew upon it. May we meditate on it just as we've read. May we think on it and allow Your Holy Spirit to, to speak to us and, and to guide us into all truth. We ask that You do that today, not for our good specifically, Lord, though we ask for that, but we ask even more so for Your glory to be shown and to be made known among Your people. And in this place, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. So as we consider this first psalm, you'll notice that the first word of the psalm is the word blessed, which is important because that means it's the first word of the entire psalter. Uh, it, it, to be blessed or to be happy, as some of the, the versions might translate it, uh, is really not to be understood as simply being uh, feeling a state of bliss or, or ecstasy. Even less is it a, a state of being feeling connected to someone just because they're rich or because they are, they're famous or, or good-looking or because they've achieved some uh, high level of being even in, in, in business or in the worldly understandings. That's not what it means to be blessed according to the Scriptures. In fact, according to the Scriptures, the reality of being blessed really centers in on the idea of, of a sense of well-being that, that comes from being right with, with, uh, with God. It's a word that actually carries a lot of freight, the word blessed, because it implies a sense of joy and satisfaction that's, that's not tied specifically to, to superficial things, but rather it's like a, a fountain that flows from within a person, deep within someone who is fully cognizant of God's grace and mercy working in their lives. Now, since that word blessed is the first word of this psalm, we we learn that it is this blessing that actually stands behind everything else that the writer is going to go on to tell us. He begins by saying, blessed is the man, and then he says, who? Now, that's what we want to know. That's, That's the question that first comes from this text. We want to know, notice the first point on your outline this morning. We want to know this. Who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? So what does the psalm tell us? Blessed is the man who? Well, in answering that question of who is the blessed man, we might think that the psalmist is going to go on to to tell us what we need to do, who we need to follow, uh, what what steps we need to take, uh, what exercises we need to engage in, or, or what things we need to say. That may be our expectation, but surprisingly, that's not how the psalmist begins. Rather, he, he begins by cautioning us against the examples that we must not follow and the things that we must not do. Significantly, the psalmist begins not with the positive, but with the negative. As one that I read this week said this, it, it, it communicates to us very clearly that blessedness or happiness can actually come by saying no. Notice what the psalmist says here. He says, The blessed person is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful or, or scoffers. In other words, notice, notice the first subpoint there under point number one. That first subpoint is this The blessed man of Psalm 1 is the one whose life is different from the world. He is the one whose life is different from the world. Now, what is clear is that if we want to live under the blessing of God, then there is most definitely a lifestyle to be avoided and never emulated. Now, while some have stated that that these three couplets here are just synonymous, they don't really represent anything other than just a synonymous way of saying the same thing three times, it's difficult for me to see that the psalmist is not describing a, a, a gradual descent into evil. Consider the phrases. He says a person begins by walking alongside and, and listening to the counsel of the wicked and the ungodly, and then he becomes influenced by them, and next he, he stops, and he stands still, and he becomes identified with the sinners who are speaking to him. And then finally, this man begins to take up Permanent residence in the company of the wicked and even to begin to, to spread the sin and, and to, to offer his own laughter and sarcasm to the others that are offering their voices as scoffers. I believe that that downward descent is, is the, the same thing that's echoed in the New Testament in the words of the Apostle Paul who writes this in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17. Paul says, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and then being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The the downward progression really is obvious. It begins when one allows their their thoughts to be influenced by the wicked world around them by giving ear to all of those ungodly voices that cry out to be heard. And then with their understanding darkened, they begin to behave in the same fashion as sinners do, no longer longer being confronted and, and offended by their sin, but rather becoming okay with it and tolerating it as normal and even accepting it for themselves. And finally, these people begin to realize that it's the ungodly crowd that they have the most in common with. That's that's really where they belong. And Paul says this, they have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The psalmist says it this way, they seat themselves in the seat of the scornful. So the psalmist begins by telling us that the one who would be blessed is one whose life is different From the world. But then he presents us with a contrast. He switches his focus from the ways of the wicked in verse 1 to the ways of the righteous in verse 2. And we learn the next thing that he tells us with regard to the blessed man of Psalm 1. Notice the second subpoint there on your outline. It's this He is the one whose life is devoted to the Word. He is the one whose life is devoted to the Word. The psalmist says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Again, I believe that the psalmist sort of surprises us here by what he writes. We might expect, based upon what he wrote in verse 1, to describe in, in describing the wicked man with regard to his thoughts and his behavior and his associations, well, we might expect him to decide to, to describe the, the, the righteous man along the same lines, to tell us what he's supposed to think and act like and and who he hangs out with. And while that may be true to a degree that it's important to understand those things, that's not the way that the Psalmist begins describing someone who is truly blessed. Instead, he describes the blessed person as one whose delight is in the law of the Lord upon which he meditates day and night. In other words, The person that God blesses is one who constantly and intentionally focuses on God's word. He has a deep affection for it and he pays constant attention to it. I like the way that Ray Pritchard has put it. He has said this, everyone delights in something. Some people delight in food, others delight in a job or a hobby or a career Some delight in a particular friendship. Many people delight in money or the things that money can buy. And unfortunately, as Pritchard points out, many delight in evil pleasures and wrong desires. Then he goes on to make this point. He says, your delight determines your direction. Your delight determines your direction. Now I want you to think about that. You see, what your your heart is set upon Where your affections lie, what you give attention to, that will ultimately determine the direction in which you move. And the path upon which you travel will be the path that is directed toward that for which your heart is directed. Let me ask you what is it that you're delighting in? What have you set your affection upon? To what do you give your focused attention? I want you to notice that the psalmist says this. It is the law of the Lord. It is, uh, that's a phrase that really includes all of God's word. He says it's the law of the Lord that revs up the engine of the one who is blessed by God. In other words, those who are blessed by God love his law. They meditate on it day and night. That word translated meditate has the idea of of digesting something thoroughly. It means to ruminate on a truth. It means to to really to chew on it, to, to consider a verse or a passage or a truth from Scripture from all the various angles. And the person who is blessed by God is one whose mind is controlled by the Word of God. So, Really, in these first two verses, we have been introduced to two different men and and two different types of individuals who lead two different types of lives. And, And what we have seen is that the one who disassociates himself from the godless and wicked world around him, the one who does not slide down the slippery slope of sin through his thinking and then through his behavior and then even through his who he identifies with and belongs with, but rather associates himself with God through his affection for and his attention to God's holy word. Well, that is the one that the psalmist identifies who is blessed by God. But then that leads us to the second question that we need to ask of this text. Because we've asked who is the blessed man of Psalm 1. Now we need to ask the second question. The second point on your outline is this. How does God bless this man of Psalm 1? How does God bless the man of Psalm 1? Well, verse 3 tells us, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The psalmist here paints a picture of of a green and a growing fruitful tree, and in doing so, he describes the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This person draws his or her spiritual nourishment from, from this water. It, just like a tree draws its nourishment from the abundantly flowing stream by which it is planted. And so here is, is the nature of that blessing. You see, even though, even though the land around that tree may be dry and may be barren, if the tree is planted by the stream so that it can sink its roots down deep into the and, and draw nourishment from that stream, then it will prosper and it will, it will yield fruit. This is the way that the psalmist describes the blessed person. Such a one has their roots deep in the Word of God so that they have a deep and strong foundation that allows them to not only withstand a, a time of drought, but listen, they can also withstand any storm that may come along bringing its fierce rain and its howling winds. Regardless of the circumstances that they may face, they are blessed and they are happy because they are spiritually strong, because they are rooted in God's word. So, so how does God bless the man of Psalm 1? Well, notice the first subpoint, subpoint A there. He blesses him this way, like a tree deep-rooted by the waters, his life will be productive. The psalmist says he will bring forth his fruit. In season, his life will be persevering because his leaf shall not wither. And his life will be prosperous because whatever he does will prosper. How does God bless the man of Psalm 1? Well, he blesses him like a deep-rooted tree by the waters. A productive life, a persevering life, a prosperous life. But notice with me that the psalmist contrasts that positive way in which the blessing of God is poured upon the one whose life is different from the world and and whose life is devoted to the word. He he contrasts that person with the ungodly person, with the wicked sinners, with the scornful mockers back of verse one. And, And the psalmist says here in verse four, he says the ungodly are not so. Literally, he says not so the ungodly. But instead, notice he says, they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The picture that the psalmist paints here is, is really one of the threshing floor during the time of, of harvest. Normally wheat was, was, was threshed out on a hillside where the wind could blow across the hills and, and, and the heads of the wheat were crushed under a heavy weight and, and what would happen, that would separate the kernel of wheat from the husk, from the outside part of, of the wheat and then the farmer would toss all of that up in the air and when the wind would blow, it would blow away all of the empty husks in the outside part and the heavy kernels of wheat would fall back to the floor. And all of that that was blown away... That's called the chaff. In other words, the chaff is the rubbish. The chaff is the useless. It's the the inconsequential. And the psalmist is showing us just the opposite of what a blessed life is and what a happy life looks like. He paints for us the picture of the futile and the the empty and the worthless life of the godless who who hold no regard for God and His Word and, and who have embraced a life that is patterned upon sin and mockery of what God teaches and what He has given us in His Word. And so, consequently, if we were to ask how God blesses the man of Psalm 1, well, we see notice the, the second subpoint there, subpoint B, we see that unlike the chaff which is dispersed by the wind, well, the blessed man's life will, will not be worthless and weightless and wasted. Unlike the chaff which is dispersed by the wind, the blessed man's life will not be worthless and weightless and wasted. Now I really think we should note here from our earthly perspective that it does not always appear that those who live ungodly and wicked and worthless lives are worthless appear to be worthless and and weightless and, and wasted. It doesn't always look that way. In fact, as James Johnston has written in his commentary on this passage, he says, an empty husk is not always obvious on the surface. Many who are chaff mask it well. But eventually, he says, the winnowing and the winds will reveal that truth. Sometimes a crisis hits them or one they love And they do not survive spiritually. The wind blows them away. But listen, even even if that does not occur in this life, a final day of judgment is coming. In fact, notice what the psalmist tells us in verse 5. The reality of the wasted lives of the ungodly is shown by the fact that he tells us there, they shall not stand in the judgment nor will the sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, the end of the wicked, while it may not be obvious to us in this life, because because they are chaff, as they have been described, they will utterly collapse and be driven away by God and from God's people. They will have no permanent standing before God or among God's people. Gerald Wilson points out that the obvious contrast that the psalmist presents in these verses is between a fruitful tree and useless chaff, between well-watered stability and dry, dusty, wind-blown impermanence. Such is the difference between the one who experiences the blessing of God and the judgment of God. And what that reminds us of is that we are not to judge happiness and blessedness from a temporal and from a worldly perspective. In fact, we cannot do so if we expect to be truly happy and blessed. King Solomon found that out as the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. He tells us to go chasing after things in this world and trying to find your happiness here is like chasing the wind. And in the end, as the psalmist tells us here, all who delight in the wrong things and aim themselves in the wrong directions will end up like the chaff blown away on the day of judgment to be burned. And it is that thought really that brings us to the last question that we should ask of this text. You see, we have asked who is the blessed man of Psalm 1 and we have asked how that man of Psalm 1 is blessed by God. Now we must ask, notice the last point, the third one on your outline. We must ask why does this matter? Why does this matter? Really, answer to answer that question, I believe, is abundantly clear from what we've already seen. You see, the psalmist has painted us with two drastically different pictures two, of two very different men. One who rejects the way of the ungodly and who instead embraces the law of God. He delights in it. He has affection for it. He meditates on it. He gives attention to it. And then the other man, however, though, aligns himself with the wicked. And and he listens to their counsel and he stands in their path and he identifies himself with them and he even lifts his mocking voice among the scoffers. And and what results is two different outcomes. The blessings of God flow to the one who loves him and who is planted by a stream where he can flourish. On the other hand, emptiness and judgment are all that remain for the wicked. Well, notice that in verse 6, the psalmist summarizes everything that he says. He says this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So there we are reminded why all of this matters. It matters. Notice the first sub point there. It matters because the Lord is deeply acquainted with the way of the righteous. It matters because the Lord is deeply acquainted with the way of the righteous. That that word knows there in verse six. It's loaded with meaning. It's a word that just means more of having knowledge of or knowing about. It's a word that really means watching over. It means means caring about. It means to be intimately familiar with. It's the same word that's used to describe the intimate relationship that exists between a husband and his wife. Don't miss what the psalmist is telling us here. The Lord is deeply acquainted with the way of the righteous. I like how one put it, he says, when it comes to God's blessing today and in eternity, the question really is not, do I know God? The question is, does God know me? Let me ask you, are you known by God? Is he deeply acquainted with you and with your way? I want you to know that there is not a more important question that you will ever ask yourself than that one. As the last part of verse 6 makes clear, notice the final sub-point there on your outline. Under point number 3, it's this. The way of the ungodly ultimately leads to destruction. The way of the ungodly ultimately leads to destruction. You see, for those who choose the way of the wicked, well, the Lord offers no protection. There's no oversight. Rather, there is only perishing. J. Vernon McGee, he summarized the theme of Psalm 1 this way. He says, two men, two ways, two destinies. One way leads to blessing and eternal life. The other way leads to judgment and to ultimate destruction. And what's interesting is I think it's important to know that Jesus also spoke of these two ways and these two paths and these two destinies. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this appeal in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13 and following. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now just a few verses later in that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to say that even though there will be many in the day of judgment who claim to know him he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why would Jesus say that? Well, he goes on to say this. He says, unlike the wise man who built his house upon a rock, the unwise and the wicked had refused to listen to him and to regard his word and to build their houses upon the sand. Therefore, when the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on their houses, their houses fell. And Jesus says, and great was their fall. Brothers and sisters, that is why this psalm matters so much. You know, I mentioned uh, at the outset this morning in my opening comments that God has called me to take this book, his holy word, his inherent, his inspired word, and then to lift my voice to point all who will listen to Jesus Christ. And what I want you to know is that's absolutely the case, even as we look here in Psalm 1. You see, as the title of my sermon today asks, the overarching question of Psalm 1 really is this, is am I blessed? Am I blessed? Blessed. And when we really truly consider the facts that are presented to us in this psalm, we have to admit that there's a problem. There's a problem for every single one of us. We have to admit that more times than we care to count, we have entertained and we have listened to the counsel of the wicked. We have allowed their ungodly voices to infiltrate and affect our thinking. And as a result, if we're honest, all too often we have stood with the sinners And we have brought our behavior into uh, the pattern of behavior that that they are involved with. Because it's affected by their wicked counsel. And too many times, the truth is, we've laughed at and we have mocked the truth of God's word. Perhaps not openly, but we certainly have done it with our inattention and our disobedience to it. So if we are honest, and we honestly assess the truth delivered to us in this psalm, if we analyze it and we lay its truth over and against the reality of what's going on in our lives, then there's not a single one of us who can stand and say that we have always lived a life separate from sin and that we've lived a life fully devoted to the Lord and to his word. The truth is, just as Jesus said, on our own, we find ourselves on the broad path that leads to destruction. But there is that call to enter by the narrow gate. And there's that call to live a life of blessing. And the reality is that the only, there's only one man in history who has ever lived out the reality of the righteous life that Psalm 1 describes. Only Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, fully devoted to God's word, earning God's complete and total blessing. And as one has written, Jesus is the only truly supremely happy man. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. And here's the good news. Of all of the blessings of Psalm 1, they all become ours through Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate by which we enter upon the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life and blessing. When we come to him in faith, all of our life becomes wrapped up in his. And on the cross, he took all of our sins upon himself and gave to us all of his righteousness. His obedience counted as ours and his righteousness is imputed to us and his blessings now become ours. So let me ask you, are you blessed? To help you answer that question, I offer for you my sermon in a sentence this morning. My sermon in a sentence here from Psalm 1 is this. The person who would be blessed must reject the way of the ungodly that leads to destruction and enter upon the path that leads to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, have you done that? Is that your testimony? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus and acknowledged your sinfulness, repented of it, turned your back upon it, and trusted in Him? Have you you set your heart upon Him And upon his word, is he the focus of your affection and your attention? If you are not happy today, if you can't truly say that you are blessed, then I want you to know that your first step is to come to faith, by faith, to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to save you. No one or nothing else will ever bring you true and lasting blessing. In fact, As we have seen, to trust in anything and anyone else is to remain upon the path that will lead to your ultimate destruction. There are only two options. There is the wide path of the ungodly and the scornful sinners or the narrow path of the righteous that leads to eternal life and blessing through Jesus Christ who is the only gate. Which one will you take? To those of you who would affirm that Jesus Christ is is your Lord and Savior, that you have entered upon that narrow road, then let me ask you, are you giving your ear to the ungodly counsel of the world? Are you allowing your joy and your blessing to be eroded by the voices that would seek to drag you off the path of righteousness? Have you allowed yourself to become sidetracked, even as The Apostle Peter did, who ended up warming himself by the fires of the enemy. As I asked earlier, what is it that your heart's delighting in? Where does the compass needle of your heart point toward? Is the word of God what mesmerizes you? Are you immersing yourself in it? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? Are you chewing on it and applying its truth to your heart? I want you to know the path of blessing is marked by these things. Brothers and sisters, we live in perilous and uncertain times. If 2020 has taught us anything, it has taught us that everything can change in a matter of moments. None of us know what tomorrow holds, be it a drought or a storm. Those who are deeply rooted by the streams of the everlasting waters. Those who confidently travel the path set for them by the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, they will be the ones that are blessed. My prayer is that such can be said for each and every one of you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and it is for the people. Of God, Thank you for being with us this morning. Would you pray with us? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you that you promise us blessing through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is my prayer that today all who are able to hear this message and be able to think on these verses will be pointed to Christ, that their hearts would be warmed by him, they would be drawn to him, that they would be willing to live their lives for, them, for him. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.